This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Amy Trask, and you are listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Tip. With all the frills apart. Oh, I love that. Yes. You'll be the greatest. On the eye test for two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we're Hall of Fame voters joined by, well, Bing Crosby first, but our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. And soon, very soon, by Hall of Fame voter Matt Mayoko, an old friend of mine from San Francisco. But first, Ira. I mentioned the Easter Parade. Now, I know you're from the greater New York City area, right? Uh, where, were you, where were you born? Where are you from? Where all the great ones emanate from. Brooklyn, New York, my Brooklyn, friend. Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Ian, I guess that excludes you. You're not so great because you're not from Brooklyn. <laughs> Maybe Brookline. <laughs> I don't know. But um, I lived in Manhattan for uh, 15, 16 years. And I'm sure, Ira, you know, the Easter Parade really isn't a parade after all. I thought it was, it's not. It, it's simply a whole lot of people who are dressed up um, on Fifth Avenue for that day, that Sunday, walking up and down the street. It's closed off and it's it's terrific. But I'm wondering, first of all, have you ever been there? Do you ever be part of it? Uh, Brooklynites, uh, we don't believe in, uh, in, in the Easter parade. Uh, <laughs> you don't wear an Easter bonnet down the streets of Brooklyn, Clark, you don't do it. You know what this time of year reminds me of? Passover. In, in the Kaufman household, when my brother would try to sneak in a pizza pie and you're not supposed to have any bread in the house. That's yeah, well, what I remember the most. That's why we always look forward to Easter here. Pizza on the on the table. Yeah, the judge holds <laughs> Yeah, my daughter says, we have an Easter eggs? No, pizzas. I guess that's a short way of saying no, Ira. You never were there, right? Okay, well, uh, I'll ask you about something else that goes on this time of year. <laughs> that's the NCAA basketball tournament. How's your bracket going? Uh, it's busted. It's it busted. It busted uh, three games in. Um, now I got to be honest, Clark, because we are honest on this podcast, and that's why our viewership's going up so much. <laughs> Clark, I'm not into it as much as I normally am. I, I don't know the top players, the top teams, because it was that kind of year, Clark. Yep. It was just that kind of year. Usually, NAA tournament. That's a big, big deal. In your bracket busted. Uh, it busted in 2004 and I gave up then and I never tried again because I was, I was too, dis- I, I couldn't handle the failure year in and year out. Well, my bracket's doing really well, guys, because I've got the University of Connecticut. That's right. The women's, women's. basketball there tournament. Wow. Did go. you guys watch that game last night against Baylor? No, oh. but I feel I know everything about it since talking to you. That's right. Well, I tell you what, if you lived in Connecticut, you would watch them. Oh, they love the Huskies. Paige Beckers, she's our informal and unofficial governor of Connecticut right now. So anyway, they're back in the Final Four. Love to see it. I think it's great. But I'll tell you what else I think is great. That's today's guest. Yes, sir. It's Matt Mayoko. He and I go way back to when we were both covering the San Francisco 49ers in the 1990s. I left to get married. He stayed. He got married. and He's still covering the 49ers. Matt Mayoko of the NBC Sports Bay Area. 
Welcome to the show. Uh, been doing anything lately? Busy? Anything going on with the 49ers? Yeah, nothing too much going on. And I do have to say thank you, uh, Clark and Ira, because during a kind of a dead period and John Lynch hadn't spoken to the local media since January 4th, you had him on. And uh, for several weeks there, I, I was quoting the I Test for Two podcast because of what he said, uh, made a little bit of news out here. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for acknowledging it, because I will be honest to you, with you. When we put it out on Twitter, you were one of the first ones that said, this is the closest he's come to saying he's going to be here this year. And I said, if Matt Mayoko said it, got to be true. Yeah. And the funny thing is, of course, is that even with the trade to go up to number three, uh, the 40 are still expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be the starting quarterback in 2021. And they're using that, the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes template of, you know, they have in the case of the Kansas city chiefs, Alex play one season with Mahomes watching, taking notes. Alex had his career year that season. And then they trade him to Washington and Alex ended up getting a huge contract from Washington. And so that's what they're selling to Garoppolo is you're still the quarterback. You do it the right way. And you'll cash in next season. Yeah, it's a somewhere else, deal, right? Yeah, somewhere win. else, but you'll cash in. <laughs> win for us, win for you. Come on. Um, yeah. So, since you referenced that trade, Matt, and um, and it's a big one, certainly dominated the headlines last week. Let's talk about that. Four Nanas, as you said, they've moved up to the third spot in the draft, and they gave up a lot to get there. Three first round draft picks. But bottom line question here: third spot in the draft, who's going to be? Well, it's it's interesting. I, I wonder if there's any chance they could move up to number two and get Zach Wilson. You know, I kind of doubt it, but clearly yeah. Kyle Shanahan has three quarterbacks that he's in love with. And he says the good thing about this is they have another month to figure out whether there's a fourth or a fifth quarterback that they like. But they, they moved up to number three. And, you know, people here... I think don't necessarily want them to go with Mac Jones, but one of Kyle Sheehan's best friends in life is Chris Sims. And Chris has repeatedly said that he would be shocked if it's not Mac Jones. That's not a real sexy pick here because right. people see him as, as he is. I mean, he's a pocket passer. Um, I think he's the kind of guy that really appeals to what Kyle Shanahan's doing, but I think people, you know, by and large, the fan base likes the dual threat element that uh, Justin Fields provides that Trey Lance provides. So my th thinking though, is that it would be uh, Mac Jones because I think Kyle is so supremely confident in his ability to draw plays and get guys open all over the field that all he wants is the guy to do as coached to anticipate, to read defenses, to, to throw the ball where it should go and throw it accurately. And the running element is something that isn't part of Kyle's system because, again, he, he, I think you see he sees running, you know, the ability to run for a quarterback as kind of a bailout. And in his offense, he doesn't need the bailout because yeah, right. guys are going to be open. So, Matt, I know that Shanahan and Lynch are scheduled to go to the Mac Jones workout today, correct? Correct. Yeah but they're not going to another workout. That's Justin Fields. Instead, 
the sending the assistant GM. What, if anything, do you read into that? Well, I, I do read something into that. And, and Kyle made a, the comment on Monday that you know, he, does, he doesn't like going to pro days. Um, and there's a part of him that always kind of feels like if you go to pro days, you know, you're, you're he wants to hide what they're doing. And he says now there's not as much to hide because there's only two teams picking in front of them. Yeah. So regardless of who those, you know, if they love the three, three quarterbacks right now, they're going to get one of them, regardless of who, who goes first, who goes second. And I think we have a pretty good indication that Trevor Lawrence is going first. And I think, I think. That, yeah. And I think that Zach Wilson right. is going second. Great. So then who is it? But I think the fact that Kyle is, is doing this and he doesn't have to hide his intentions, you know, he can start to develop a rapport with Mac Jones and see him up close and see if what he sees up close in person matches with the film that he's already watched. Hey, Matt, uh, thanks for doing this, Matt. Um, I want to talk to you about the, the defense, Matt. Uh, I think you'd agree that 2019, that Super Bowl team, Matt, they, they were powered by a, a heck of a defense. Um, unfortunately, you know, it, it didn't work out those last seven minutes of that Super Bowl. But, Matt, they're missing the coordinator. DeForest Buckner's gone. Sherman looks like he's gone. Uh, Matt, do, do they have enough on the other side of the ball coming back uh, in, in 2021? Well, th that defensive line carried the team in 2019. And then last year, you know, as you mentioned, there was no DeForest Buckner. D Ford played in only one game. Nick Bosa played one game and basically one series. Solomon Thomas, who's a rotational player, but he was starting. He got injured, uh, ACL tear, uh, a play after, two plays after Nick Bosa sustained his ACL injury. So it, they're going to have to do it in a different way. And there's still no guarantee that D Ford will play for this team this season. He has this back condition that's very troubling, but he's working out at the facility every day. Nick Bosa coming back off the ACL. The 49ers signed Samson Ebukam from the Rams, who's certainly not a household name, four and a half sacks each of the past two seasons. So he's somebody that they're looking at to be an edge rusher in nickel situations. I don't think the defensive line is as good as it was. And I think, Ira, that might be why they're looking just to get better on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, they know that that defense isn't going to be what it was in 2019. So they're going to have to score more points. And I think the, you know, the, the long-term plan of course is for this rookie to step in, but that's not the short-term plan. You know, the short-term plan is still Jimmy Garoppolo and they still have, they still think that he's, he's not a great quarterback. We all know that. He's also not a horrible quarterback. He's kind of somewhere in the middle, but they do think that he's good enough to win with. Matt, what about the impact of losing the coordinator on defense? Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, so D'Amico Ryans takes over as the 49ers defensive coordinator. Robert Sala goes to the Jets. Um, you know, talking to some of the players this offseason, they think it'll be a little bit more aggressive that D'Amico will, will, will dial it up 
in, in bringing more pressures. Uh, Salas from that, you know, the, the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll school of, you know, play cover three, you know, you, you don't take many chances. You, you, you have a solid front four and you, you turn those guys loose, but you don't, you don't take too many risks. Um, I, you know, Hey, it's going to be a work in progress with D'Amico Ryans. He, he's kind of new to this whole coaching thing. I mean, he, it wasn't that long ago that he was a player. He's only been coaching for four years. So um, we'll, we'll see how that works. But at this point, really nobody knows exactly how it's, it's going to happen, but you know, they did kind of insulate themselves on the defensive coaching staff with some guys who come in Corey Unlin and James Betcher, two guys who have been defensive coordinators. And in the case of Betcher, he was with the Cardinals and they were ultra aggressive. So I think, I think some of those elements come to the 49ers that, that D'Amico Ryan's can kind of pick and choose, you know, maybe in his mind, the best of what Robert Sala did and then adding some of the ideas that are coming in from the outside. So I think the defense will be, will be different this year. I, I just, I don't see it being better, but it'll be different and they'll probably try to, to scheme up some more things to, to confuse opposing offenses. Matt, you saw the 49er dynasty uh, develop right in front of your eyes. And how shocked were you, Matt, when it ended? You know, you say, I'll, I'll never see anything like this. You know, I think it was 14 straight double-digit uh, win, win seasons. And, and then, you, then you witnessed the, the Patriots. Uh, yeah. How would you compare the two? And, and do you think we'll ever see another one uh, on a par with those two? Boy, it's going to be tough. I, you know, it's funny when – you know, watching the the team from here in the Bay Area and then covering the team. And when I first started, and Clark, you can relate to this. I remember you mentioned, you know, us getting married. Um, I remember thinking and, and having the conversation, like, I'm going to be working well into January every year. And, and so, uh, you know, the, the football season for me is always going to be about a month later than it or longer than it is for other people. And that lasted until Steve Young, uh, well, until uh, Lawrence Phillips uh, blew a blitz pickup. That's right. And then Steve Young ended up kind of crumpled on the ground there in, in Tempe, Arizona. And then, uh, and then the 49ers, you know, just fell into the abyss. They came out of it briefly, but man, over the past, I guess, two decades now, there's been so much dysfunction you know, with, with the organization, um, things were, things were rolling there, you know, with, with Walsh and Seaford and John McVeigh and Carmen policy. And then, and then the wheels came off. And so that's what they've come back to. I think now the, the organizational structure is, is very good. Um, and, and with the Patriots, man, I mean, there are two organizations. I, well, you can't have a dynasty like that without a great coaching staff and a great quarterback. And I would say the, you know, the Patriots was, I mean, their model was Tom Brady and Tom Brady and kind of these interchangeable parts. It seemed like, you know, some of the mainstays on defense stayed the same, but I mean, the wide receiver position, the running backs, you know, the offensive line, those were all kind of interchangeable spots. You know, obviously Edelman and, and Gronk were, were there for a good portion of those, but the 49ers were, were before the salary cap era. And so 
what Eddie DeBarlow did was a completely different structure of they kept their guys together and they not only had the best starters, you know, they had backups who they could pay and keep around. And basically, you know, Eddie DeBarlow is the reason there's a salary cap because, you know, the other owners didn't want to, to, to keep up with him. I mean, they were so good that they could make the trade for Steve Young, keep him on the bench for what, four years, five years, and then go seamlessly from one hall of fame quarterback to another. So the, 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 the way they went about it, it was completely different in a lot of ways. And to me, even though I'm out here, the, the Patriots way is just so much more impressive. I, well, I shouldn't say so much more impressive, but it's so impressive because of the, the financial uh, restraints in today's NFL and how they've still managed to just find not necessarily superstars, but guys who fit exactly their system while Tom Brady was able to orchestrate everything. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Matt. And, and we're speaking with Hall of Fame voter Matt Miyoko of NBC Sports Bay Area. And Matt, you talked about those 49er teams in the 90s when you and I were covering the team together. And I got out there in 94, moved up there from San Diego. And in that draft in 94 was a guy named Bryant Young, defensive tackle. And he was spectacular. You and I covered him. He was spectacular on the field, off the field. We've had him on this program before one of the classiest guys, but one of the best players I've ever covered. And as you know, because you're a Hall of Fame voter, he was all decade, as you know, because you're covering the 49ers. He was an eight-time Eshmont Award winner, and maybe people outside of the Bay Area don't know about that, but I think it's the most courageous and inspirational player, and it's the most valuable award within that franchise. He won it eight times. No one else has won it more than twice. And, and so I look at Bryant Young, it was a finalist last year, Hall of Fame finalist last year, 2020. And I was so glad to see him get in the final 15. And then this year, he was the only finalist from 2020 who didn't make the cut to 15 this year. And I was disappointed, maybe not as much as Brian, as BY, but boy, I didn't understand it. I don't know if you don't understand it either, but we've got a friend the show here named John Turney from Pro Football Journal. He's a historian. And he says, there's no reason this guy should not be in the Hall of Fame. He was a dominant defensive tackle. Matt, from your perspective, what are voters missing with BY? You know, he, he was never a guy that brought attention upon himself. Right. You know, he's a very low-key guy. Um, and so he didn't, you know, he, he, he was... Uh, He's just a, a total class act, but not the soundbite, you know, not the guy that would make headlines. And, you know, I, I compiled uh, in, in my presentation for BY in 2019, you know, all these, all these testimonials, not from teammates, but from people who played against him. And from opposing quarterbacks who said that was the guy that, yeah. you know, we feared and we had to game plan around. I don't know how much we can really talk about this, but I do think I, he was the last guy that we talked about in that room in 2019. And I felt like after eight hours, it, you know, there, there's some sort of element there of people just kind of getting fatigued. Yeah. You know, when there's no conversation, you're dead, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so 
you know, Brian Young was a tremendous all around player. And, you know, Ira to kind of talk about a, a guy that, that I don't think you had to say a whole lot about, you know, Warren Sapp, Brian Young had nearly as many sacks as Warren Sapp, but I think it's generally understood that he played the run a heck of a lot better. Yeah. And, and playing the run, I guess, isn't, isn't a real sexy thing, but you know, Richard Seymour has made it to a finalist uh, position here several years in a row. And, and he's got to be one of the favorites to go in next year. But, you know, Brian Young had what 40 more sacks than, than uh, Richard Seymour. I think Seymour probably had more run stuffs, but Brian Young also had, you know, more than a hundred tackles more than, than Seymour. Right. So. And missed a year, Matt, because of a career threatening injury yeah and i might add when he had that injury i believe that was in late november was he was he was leading the nfl in sacks correct correct and and so you know he would have been he he would have had another pro bowl he would have had probably an all pro you know first team all pro um so i don't know what it is about brian young that doesn't captivate the imagination or the enthusiasm of the voters. But I mean, I, I kind of kicked myself this last year for at least not sending something out to the voters just to kind of remind them of how great this guy was, because I was kind of thinking, you know, he would, he would make it into the finals again, but I guess, uh, I, I guess we should never take that for granted yeah. with somebody like him because I would say that he has, you know, slipped through the cracks, and um, and and I'm not sure why. And but well, you, that's the that's the closest thing I can come up but, with. But he can come back, as I assured him. Much as member Steve Atwater disappeared after one year, came back three years later, and then suddenly, yeah. boom, he's in the top ten next year. He's a Hall of Fame. He, yeah, and let me ask you this, Clark. And you know, I don't. I think Richard Seymour is a Hall of Fame defensive lineman. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. But I just don't understand, or at least uh, what I wrestle with is I don't think that Richard Seymour should go in before Brian Young, but I also don't want to make this, you know, Richard Seymour against Brian Young and try to diminish Seymour in, in favor of of Brian Young. So it's kind of that delicate thing you, you walk with, with pointing out one guy's strengths and his qualifications but let's face it, nobody's going to get in that room and vote for both Bryant Young That's right. and Richard Seymour on the same That's ballot. Right. Yeah, to me, Richard Seymour has got to get in first for Bryant Young to reappear. Let me ask about one other guy, and the guy you know very well, and that's uh, Patrick Willis, linebacker. He hasn't been a finalist yet, but you look at his record, six-time All-Pro, five-time first-team All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler in eight seasons? I mean, yeah. and it was an all-decade choice? what are voters missing here? He hasn't been a finalist. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised actually. Yeah. So am I. Um, and in the one year he did not make the pro bowl was the year that his, his career basically ended with a foot injury. So I think he only played in like five games that season. Uh, Patrick Willis was a dominant eye popping sideline to sideline. He, he would do everything for that defense. And uh, th- that included when Vic Fangio came to the 49ers in 2011, 
was that, you know what, he's our best cover guy too. So let's always put him on the teams on the opposition's best tight end. And he did a really good job in that role. Uh, so maybe, you know, during that time, his, I think his tackle numbers maybe have dropped a little bit. And then, uh, then he had Navarro Bowman there side by side. And those, those guys kind of were, were incredible. Um, he, here's the thing is like Luke Keekley and, and Patrick Willis are, I mean, it's tough to separate those two and I don't know how you do yet. I would be shocked if Luke Keekley is not a finalist year one, year two, however long. Might be a know. first ballot Hall of Fame. He, he could going. be. He could be. And I and I think what people will say is that, well, Luke Keekley was a defensive player of the year. Right. I would say that there were two or three seasons where Patrick Willis could have been, or, you know, maybe even should have been, you know, a defensive player of the year. Now, he was a dominant player and, and just a, a remarkably talented guy and so that's that's one that surprises me too I guess yeah I mean I'm not sure why Patrick Willis I mean I thought I thought year one it was kind of a slam dunk that he would be a finalist at least I didn't expect him to go in year one because I thought the conversation would be very much like the conversation that we have it seems like on a yearly basis with you know Tony Baselli or uh, Terrell Davis or Calvin Johnson um, and I would say, you know, I would, I would compare obviously different positions, but I would compare Patrick Willis to Calvin Johnson. I think those two guys are very similar as far as their resumes go and their candidacy for the pro football hall of fame. Matt, uh, one of the things I, I admire about you is like, you're a guy who takes his craft very seriously. And, and on that line, Matt, Give me some advice you would give to the 20 year old that just uh, had a journalism degree out of Syracuse or Northwestern and, and wants to get into this business and wants to get into print journalism and, and is getting a little discouraged looking around at what's going on with the, with the newspaper business. What, what advice would you give them, man? Yeah. What, what was it? What print? What, what is that? <laughs> no um and you, Matt, you know what you can't tell them to be a guest on this program all right don't use that you can't ex- you've got to exclude that. um you know and i you, i'm not i'm not saying this just because of who i'm i'm with here but when when i first started covering the 49ers in 95 i was as raw as an oyster and I kind of latched onto Clark and I, I remember having numerous like conversations about the craft and about job. And I, I don't even know if you realize that Clark, but I mean, I was always observing you. Uh, obviously Ira Miller was on the beat then too. I watched you two guys and I, I spoke probably more to Clark about just the mechanics of the beat and, and how you go about it. And so, you know, to me that, that I would, I would not change a thing because I learned so much from the people who were already established and had a really good feel for just how to conduct themselves in, in all the situations that, that crop up uh, during the course of a season and in the course of an off season. So what I would recommend to, to any young person is 
you know, to find a mentor, you know, and to, and to kind of observe and, you know, you, you feel your way, you, you learn how to do it the right way. And then, you know, not everything that Clark did worked for me. Like Clark is his own person. I'm my own person, but we, we all, you have to kind of establish your voice and your style and what you're comfortable doing and, and how you go about the job. So, um, you know, one of the, the things I, I try to be, you know, I try to be fair, consistent. Um, one, one of the things is I've had, you know, whatever, several run-ins through the years with uh, executives, players, whatever. But the one thing I can always do is regardless of what their beef is with me, I can always look them in the eye and say, was I fair? Was I fair? And I'd say, you know, almost all the time, you know, they can say, well, yes, that's fair, but you know, whatever. And, and as long as, as you can look someone in the eye, you know, I don't take cheap shots. I don't, I don't make fun of guy. You know, I, it's, I understand that their job is extremely difficult and I respect that. And I also understand that our jobs are difficult, but um, it, it's, it's, I think you just have to have respect for the people you cover and, and hope that that respect comes back to you. And, and I don't know if you expect it, but um, if you handle your job in a respectful way, then I, I think you can succeed and do a really good job. Matt, last one for me. Thanks so much for your time, Matt. Um, all right, Matt, you're David Baker for a day. You're, you, you run the board of trustees. You can make, <laughs> you can make a change uh, in Canton to the process, Matt. I don't know if you're happy totally with it. Would you add another slot or two for modern day, or are you okay with the five out of, out of 15? Would you change anything, Matt? God, that's one I really wrestle with because you don't just want to open it up. It should be very difficult to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but I'm also kind of, you know, I, I, I'm not crushed, but I'm I feel really badly when I see these guys every year. It's their final year of eligibility, and now you know what do you call it, Clark? When you go into that senior the pool, abyss, the, the abyss. abyss. Yeah. yeah. And so like a guy like Clay Matthews, you know, it's so funny. There was this guy, I, I'm sure you guys got the same letters for years. This guy in Ohio, handwritten letter, would send me letters about Clay Matthews. And I, I looked at those and I did my own research. And, you know, after I came to the conclusion that, yeah, this guy, this guy's a really good player. He was a really good player and he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And, um, it was good to see him get as far as he got. I think he got it to the final 10. He did. Yeah. Um, but then you see that, oh, that's it. Now he's in that pool with, you know, Cliff Branch and Roger Craig and, uh, some of the, the older players that I, I know you've mentioned Clark in the past. So that, that's a difficult thing. Um, I would almost like to see like something like a, a John Lynch rule, you know, if you're a finalist for 
whatever the number is, if you're a finalist for seven years in a row or six years in a row, you, you, you advance, you know, you're now an add on to the five and, and then it takes, you know, the 80% up and down. I think something like that w- would be a really good thing because I think every guy who gets that far in the hall of fame process you know, they've made it to the final 15 and then they don't hear if they made it to the final 10 until later. But I think all those guys, there's not a doubt in their mind that they're a hall of famer. And in more instances than not, they should be in the hall of fame. But once they don't get that nod or the knock on the door, then it feels like they've, it's been a complete waste of a year. And now they're starting from scratch Whereas if you put in a rule where if you make it as a finalist six years in a row, now those guys who are heartbroken know at least that now, hey, I'm a little bit closer. I'm a little bit closer. And I think it would give those guys hope. And I also think it'd be a very good way to maybe break that logjam. Matt Mayoko, thanks so much for joining us. And I will tell you, thank you for what you said. Those kind words about our relationship when we were working out there, but I will tell you, it cuts both ways because I learned from you. I learned from you how to play the boards at 20 tank and shuffleboard. That, <laughs> how that thing bent. <laughs> I read that thing. I, what was like, you called me the surgeon. The surgeon. We would go every weekend and just make the rounds of the shuffleboards in San Francisco. And I remember people saying, have you been here for like eight hours? Yeah, we love it. We're the kings of the shuffleboard. Hey, Ira, we were so cool. I mean, anytime (laughs) you can hang out with two guys who play shuffleboard (laughs) on a Friday night night. in San Francisco, (laughs) uh, we were... We were the envy of everybody. We were. I didn't. Uh, I I didn't have uh, access to that in Brooklyn. Clark. No, no, no shuffleboard. Lucky you. Anyway, thanks so much, Matt. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, Clark, Ira, thanks so much for having me. That was Hall of Fame voter Matt Mayoko of NBC Sports Bay Area. And Ira, I agree 100% with what he said about Bryant Young. You know where I stand on him. He's a friend of the show. We've talked to him, and I think I know where you stand on him too. He deserves to be back in the room. I, I can't believe he fell off, Clark. I can't, I can't believe, but, but Clark, you use the at water example, perfect example. Yep. You come back, and in a year or two, you got a gold jacket. It happens. That's, that's it happens. Hey, final thoughts, Ira? What's happening final with you? Final thought, uh, Clark, final thought, the 17-game schedule. I guess they're doing the uh, virtual uh, Zoom calls this uh, week instead of yep. going to the Arizona Biltmore. Um, so it'll be official, Clark, but I don't know how you feel. I think it's a pit stop on the way to uh, an 18-game schedule with two exhibition games. Um, I don't know when it's going to happen, but uh, I I think the number 18 works a lot better than 17. I think that's the way they're going. Yeah, it is the way they're going. I I honestly wish they wouldn't go to 17 or 18. I'm more concerned about injuries. I don't see how this uh, alleviates any of those, but it certainly maximizes the bottom line, which I think it's all about. Um, but our my final thoughts are about the, the NCAA tournament this weekend. You you want to tell me where you're going with Arizona versus UConn? It's women's you know, basketball, Ira. Women's basketball. Get on the Paige Becker's bandwagon, Ira. You know, Ar- Ariyama took a year or two off, Clark. They thought he was done. And, and here comes the next recruiting class. I mean, the guy's one of the great coaches of, uh, of his time. Uh, in any sport, any sport. Amen, amen, Ira. Thank you so much. Uh, That's going to do it for today, but we do have a special guest lined up for tomorrow, and 
Ira, do you want to give our listeners a clue as to who it might be? Well, Clark, it's someone that Buck fans have gotten very used to over the last 10 or 15 years. Very, very used to. Wow. Um, Through their TV set. Through their TV set. Ian, do you have any idea who that would be? We're just going to have to wait and find out. There you go. Going to have to tune into the eye test for two tomorrow to find out. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening.